October the 3rd, 2023, and let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We begin with our scripture of the week, Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41, and a piece by me entitled Perfect Acoustics. Then Pastor Emily Larson and I will talk scripture and deliver a pep talk about what our ministries can be. But first, a rating from Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41. About that time, no little disturbance broke out concerning the way. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned, and she will be deprived of her majesty that brought all Asia and the world to her worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city was filled with confusion, and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Etruscus, Macedonians, who were Paul's travel companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even officials of the province of Asia, who were friendly to him, sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd gave instructions to Alexander, whom the Jews had pushed forward, and Alexander motioned for silence and tried to make a defense before the people, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours all of them shouted in unison, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! But when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Citizens of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the statue that fell from heaven? Since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the artisans with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges there against one another. If there is anything further you want to know, it must be settled in the regular assembly. For we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. I step out onto the stage in front of a small crowd of tourists. I gave a short, impromptu speech about Greco-Roman architecture and stage a brief stage combat demonstration with a friend of mine. The crowd applauds. To make my voice hit the back of the wall of the outdoor amphitheater takes no more effort than preaching in my normal indoor chapel. What makes this remarkable is that the amphitheater in question is more than 2,000 years old and seats 25,000 people. The Theater of Ephesus stands as a remarkable testament to ancient engineering. The Romans, in particular, prided themselves on their organization. 
each city needed an amphitheater. The Greeks loved them so that they could perform plays, not as entertainment, but to feed the soul. The Romans perhaps needed less soul-feeding. They liked plays just fine, but they also needed a place for gladiators to slaughter animals, fight each other, and massacre Christians. Per the Roman organization system, a Roman amphitheater needed to hold about 10% of the city's population. So, in a major metropolis like Ephesus, capital of the province of Asia, with a population of 250,000, they needed a 25,000-seater amphitheater. Started by the Greeks and brought to its present scale by the Romans, it demonstrates how well Greco-Roman culture understood acoustics. In a world without microphones, one person could address thousands with very little effort or training. In my travels over the past couple of weeks, I've stood in a half-dozen Greco-Roman stages, and each had this astounding quality. Crystal clear amplification of the human voice, produced solely through architecture. This specific theater in Ephesus plays a leading role in this scene in Acts 19 of Paul versus the silversmiths. It's where they assemble, dragging along some of Paul's companions to continue their shouting of, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! for two whole hours. It's what allows one city official, an unnamed city clerk, to quiet down a crowd of thousands. He could use the acoustics to be heard over the din. Without it, that part of the story makes no sense. How did one single person, that a bullhorn, microphones, etc., overcome a chanting crowd. The ancient technology of the theater made it physically possible, but the local official had to stand alone in the face of that chanting crowd. No amount of technology makes that easy. They didn't even let Paul in there because the situation blew up into such a volatile wave of anger and confusion. The last guy that stood up, Alexander, got utterly dismissed, setting off the two hours of chanting. Here stood this city clerk, taking an unpopular stance with the people who paid his bills and who could trample him to death without a second thought. Over the past 11 days, I've traveled 15,000 miles, getting on seven different flights, staying in six different hotels, and crossing between two countries, and technically two continents, Theoretically, we were chasing the footsteps of Paul, if somewhat in reverse. Corinth, to Athens, to Thessaloniki, to Philippi, to Iconium, to Laodicea, to Colossae, to Heropolis, to Ephesus. What I kept coming back to at each site that we visited is that Paul's ministry was defined not by a lonely sojourn, but by relationships. We know some of their names, Barnabas, who came with him, Silas, Timothy, Luke, Titus, Lydia, the dye merchant from Philippi, Phoebe, who delivered the letter to the Romans, Philemon, the rich guy in Colossus, Gaius, and Atrosicus, who got dragged in the theater. Many hundreds more get mentioned only by title, city clerk, church leader, elder, jailer, and so many of them don't get mentioned at all. We say that Paul built churches, but he erected no structures. In that world, having a prominent physical location would have just opened them up for easier attack. Instead, Paul built relationships, including some brave and unlikely allies. 
Paul's generation of the early church couldn't rely on their tools, existing relationships, and a legacy. None of those existed yet. They had to go out into their city and their world, use the tools like the Theater of Ephesus and their hard-won allies to build a movement. Yes, the city clerk shows tremendous bravery, but that's not the only thing that should feel convicting. My journey with Paul reminded me how much they did with so little. Paul would arrive with just his tent-making tools and the clothes on his back, walking from place to place, and out of it would come a church community. I wonder what he would think of the modern church, with our vast resources, existing congregations, and huge legacies. How would he evaluate what we accomplish with so much versus what he and the early Christians did with so little? In our relative comfort, have we gotten complacent? Have we fallen in the trap of achieving very little while having so much? Our world contains plenty of people, places, and churches with Paul's level of zeal, scraping together whatever they can to make ministry happen. In examining ourselves, can we say the same? So as you heard in the piece, uh, we're going to try not to make this the podcast version of looking at someone's vacation photos, I promise. right? Like, <laughs> so, but we're all super interested yeah, to right, hear so, about your vacation. Too. It was not a vacation. Um, 15,000 miles, seven flights, six hotels, 11 days is not a vacation. The motto of the trip became no sleep till Brooklyn. Um, but so I went to Ephesus among other places. I went to Ephesus and like normally I do series. It happened to be that one series ended just as I was leaving. And then I'm writing the other series, the new series today. This is, this is way inside baseball. I don't write my series six months out. I write my series when they're as needed. Cause I don't know what I'm going to want to talk about. I don't know. Um, I am never developed that skill where I can like, cause some preachers are so good. They like go off to a mountaintop or a beach or somewhere. And they're like, I wrote all of my series for the year. And I'm like, when does this series need to happen? Oh, I need it this week. Yeah. I'm writing it Monday. Um, so you're really good in the last minute. Yeah. No, this really need that last minute. Yeah, no, this is, you know, I am pressure prompted. I need that, like, but but the other, like, the actual, not other than laziness and general ADHD, um, which are two different things, um, I really don't always know, like, where we're going to be, um, and especially, like, with churches like this one and our previous one, that it was always evolving so much that, like, I didn't know, especially to Grace Church, the people of the Second Chance, I had no idea what I was going to want to say to them six months out um, because we didn't know who they were going to be six months out. In the same way here, Mm -hmm. right, like, if I had written these in January, I I would be wrong because the people, even in the English service or in the room, are not the same. Anyways, so I went to Ephesus. Um, and I, I followed the journeys of Paul kind of in reverse, um, Corinth to Athens. We didn't go to Rome, but I've been to Rome, but like Corinth to Athens, to Thessalonica, to Philippi, hopped across a couple days, not Paul related, Istanbul and Cappadocia, then a road trip from Iconium to Ephesus across three days, 13 hours on a bus, literally following an arc roads that, and, and the highway fall. 
like a lot of highways in kind of any part of the former Roman world, they just follow the Roman road. And so you're just following, and it's the same when you drive from Thessaloniki, aka Thessalonica, to Philippi. You're also following the Roman road. Um, you it, literally they built uh, um, the road over the road. It's the same in Spain. It's the same in England. Um, I'm guessing it's the same in France. I just don't know that. Um, but like, anyway, so you're following a literal route. We follow a little route of Paul. And so you start and all the places that got yeah. a letter. Yeah. All the places, all the that, places got that got a letter. Right, or where he wrote <laughs> the letters from. Right. So mm-hmm. when you're in like Corinth, that's where he wrote Romans. And right. so like Corinth would have been the test audience for Romans or like when you're in Ephesus, that's where he wrote the letters to the Corinthians. Right. Um, you know, when you're in Laodicea, that's probably where he wrote to my buddy Philemon. God, I always got to get an ad in for my buddy Philemon. Um, and like we went to, we didn't get to Syrian Antioch, which is where like he served his home base because as the name implies, it's very near Syria. <laughs> Turns out Syrian Antioch near Syria a um, little problematic to travel there at the moment. A little problematic. To tra- Actually, there was a major, there was a fairly major terrorist attack in Turkey yesterday. Um, oh dear! And then, like, and then, uh, then Turkey bombed um, uh, Armenia. Anyways, like, it's a very, uh, you know, we were like driving distance from Kiev, right? Like, it's a re- like, it's a cro- like, why he goes through Turkey. Then the the Roman province of Asia. It's because it turns out it's a crossroads of the world, still a crossroads of the world. Turkish Airlines will gladly tell you that they fly to more countries than any other airline because it turns out Turkey, aka Asia Minor, still a crossroads of the world. It's why Paul's there. To get anywhere in the Roman world, you pass through Turkey. It's why the capital gets moved to modern Istanbul, became. Constant Constantinople, Constantinople was formerly Byzantium, right? Like there's a song about that. Yeah, <laughs> turns out. Um, and why they did that is because oh, Rome wasn't actually the nexus. The crossroads, as it remains, is Turkey. Um, mm-hmm. And so you get this like, we were, the whole idea is we're going to get this real sense. And one of the things you get in Ephesus in particular, because Ephesus is incredibly well preserved. Right. The main this came up in the sermon and in the essay piece. Right. Like Ephesus is incredibly well preserved. And so we actually know like they talk about the Temple of Artemis. We know where it is. We know there's nothing left of it. Um, when we're at the theater. Right. Like I performed on that stage. Um, it has been. It has been restored, but all using original materials. Like they dug it out and then they pieced it back together. Um, same with the library. Same with the main roads. Same with like I went through all the area where like all the rich people lived, and those houses still have <laughs> mosaics and paintings on the walls. Right, like oh Ephesus is incredibly well preserved and yeah. huge. It was a town of two hundred fifty thousand people. I uh, I went through like I actually dragged my Bible atlas off this that shelf nice. up here and like looked up the places you went and like the journeys of Paul yeah. and all the maps because I'm like super jealous. No, I was, that you got to go to all these places. It's amazing. It was fascinating. <laughs> but like 
standing like the the piece i wrote or actually wrote that piece on the airplane flying back <laughs> that's the only time i had like i didn't have time right so i wrote <laughs> it on the airplane so i, I had a i had a flew with a seat terrorist so he, like, he leaned his seat all the way back and so like got my like like i actually had to hand write it first and then for a while he sat up and so I could like open up my laptop and type it as quickly as possible. And then soon thereafter, he leaned back and essentially like, anyways, coach is an adventure. I understand why all the megachurch pastors buy uh, private jets. If I had had my own G650, um, I could have <laughs> finished so much more work on that flight. Um, but so I actually wrote it flying back. But like in that, like when it talks about the theater, you can go to that theater. And a lot of things about that scene make a ton more sense when you're there because a that theater is huge it is seriously seats twenty five thousand people right like it is um we have football stadiums that don't seat well, twenty five thousand people yeah so i drive i mean I that's dri- huge i drive by the texan stadium every day it's not quite on that scale but it's close right like it is huge and the acoustics are, and this is the bit that, like, I became weirdly, as the lifelong theater kid that I became weirdly obsessed with, is the acoustics are amazing, right? Hmm. Working no harder than I work talking, because I, I, I preach that a mic in our chapel space. I'm working about that hard, and that fills a room that seats about 75. This is an outdoor space that seats 25,000, and I could, without working that hard, comfortably hit the back of it um and i gave this very short lecture on archaeology you know on on the acoustics right because i was basically like well no one else is doing this and there's all these tourists here and so i'll just show them here's how good the acoustics are don't clap just listen to my voice and understand that like i'm just talking here um and then we did like this is the kind of stage combat where you do what's called a nap where you clap where you hide that you're clapping instead of them punching you. And so we did a thing where my friend Kylan swung with a left hook. I napped and went to the, I did a nap and went to the floor and you can hear it just (laughs) reverberate throughout the space. No microphones, no nothing. And so that scene really does make a ton more sense of like, how do they get them quiet? Well, if you're on the stage, you're amplified as much as if you had a bullhorn. Um, nice. And so that's how they shut them up. And that's and also it makes sense that that's the natural gathering place, right? It is the thing that can seat thou. There's also like a music hall, um, but they wouldn't have called that. It was slightly smaller, same idea. Um, Ephesus is just big. Um, but that's just naturally where they would have gone. It's just off like the main commercial area. And so they would have been working in the main commercial area in the forum, forum in in latin agora in greek they would have been working there and this is naturally very near the agora to like okay if you're mad about something you're gonna go to the theater because it's like two blocks away right very compressed um for a giant thing and so that like the layout of this story starts to come together of okay you're in the agora and, like, he's rabble-rousing. Now you want to go to do some real rabble-rousing. Let's go to the theater where everyone can sit. Um, and then how the heck do you quiet down this crowd? Well, they're going to hear you. Um, yeah. And it starts to, like, yeah, the whole story clicks into place when you actually, like, you know, we can lay our hands on these are the spots. 
I kind of picture the, like, I don't know, you, you always wonder how crowds become riot. Sure. Like, yeah. what makes it go from crowd to riot to looting yeah. to store to whatever? Um, you know, and you look at the scripture and you almost wonder if it's like, like, because some of the people probably don't even know why they're there. Well, they're it says that, right? Like, about Artemis, right? right? Like, you know. Exactly. They're just following this crowd. Oh, there's something going on down there at the, you know, at the amphitheater. Let's let's go. Oh, let's start chanting about Artemis too. We're mad now? Okay. I don't know what we're mad about. We're mad now. Because right. they're not all silversmiths, right? Right. Um, so they some of them. can't all be angry about the same thing. It's just, oh, those are the guys we're mad at? Okay, okay cool. Let's yeah, this. let's do it. Well, are we right? going to start burning it's like things? A lynching. No, no, no. This is the, put the torch away, Demetria. Put the torch <laughs> away. We're yelling. We're not burning. Oh, no, we're not burning. Oh, no. We're not burning, guys. <laughs> Put them away. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, you get, you get this, you really get this picture. And also, like, this Artemis thing really was big business. Like it, mm-hmm. like that temple, you know, I, I bring this up in the sermon, like one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, right? We know where it is. We also know it's gone in part yeah. because these guys are right just 300 years early. Because by the 400s, verifiably by the 400s, it's derelict, not in use. Three <laughs> different um, ancient Christian bishops get credit for closing it. So God only knows. Um, but eventually, the rise of Christianity, and even before Christianity full-on becomes the like, by the 500s, Christianity's big business. By the 500s, they're building Hagia Sophia, the church that was the largest for a thousand years, built in the 500s right. by the Emperor Justinian. That thing's worth seeing, too. We did see that. It's a mosque now. Right. It was a church, then a mosque, then a museum. Now it's a mosque again. Um, but, like... The, re- the structure is original to the 500s, and it's the size of a football stadium, right? Like, wow. I reliably, you know, I go to a lot of Aggie football games, and it's that kind of scale. It's, like, it's the size of a modern stadium. It's just unbelievably huge, built in the 500s. And so by the 500s, Christianity is the church of the empire. It's big business. But mm-hmm. before then, the Temple of Artemis just fades out. Again, to the point, like, there's not a, like, and then it was pillaged by the this. No, previous versions of that temple got pillaged. This one, or so earthquakes are common in that area, and so earthquakes probably helped, right? Like, it may have been, like, a big earthquake. We don't know this, but, like, it may have been, like, a big earthquake, knocked over some of it, and they're just like, yeah, we don't use that anymore. We ain't gonna, we don't need it. Um, right. But it just fades out, right? So these guys have something to be afraid of, Right. In a very real way. Like, if you made your money off Artemis, sure. For Demetrius, he didn't notice it, wouldn't have noticed a difference, right? The Romans pour a ton of money in Ephesus in the second century, right? Um, that's where you get this, like, massive emperor temple and um, temp- emperor baby face Domitian, right? Like, <laughs> you, you, anyways, the Romans continue to pour real money into Ephesus for another hundred years around the different cults, the Artemis cult, the Emperor cult and whatever. But eventually by the four hundreds, no one cares. It's not that Ephesus doesn't matter. Ephesus still matters, right? Like the port of Izmir, which is essentially modern Ephesus is the second largest city in Turkey. Right. Um, Cause it's just a really useful port on the Aegean. Um, but in terms of the Artemis side, yeah, no, nah. 
Paul wins out in the end. Over the long <laughs> game, absolutely, their way of life was under threat. And, you know, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. It does make you wonder, you know, fast forward a few hundred years from now, what have we built that yeah. we see as essential that will no longer be essential well, when it comes to well, you any actually, religion? So you watch that in Turkey, because Turkey, so it's fascinating, right? So what we did to the ancient sites, thousand years later, 1400s now, with the Ottoman invasion, the arrival of Islam, same thing happens to us, right? Mm-hmm. Hagia Sophia gets converted to a mosque, right? And they, they whitewash. So Hagia Sophia famous for these beautiful mosaics. They whitewash, because in Islam, you can't have images of people, right? Um, and so they whitewash the whole walls of Hagia Sophia. Yeah. Um, they also then, the Ottomans do, go through a lot of Christian holy sites and even if they don't convert them to a mosque, they literally blot out the faces of the paintings. So there are these uh, ch- uh, cave churches in Cappadocia that are really cool. Um, if you're willing to climb up a lot of stairs and shimmy your butt into some things. And I am. <laughs> um, and even in there, all the paintings, the well-preserved paintings, all the faces have been scratched out. Hmm. Right? So like... And like we built churches over ancient holy uh, over ancient holy sites, right? Like a lot of the right. like Byzantine, so kind of fifth, sixth century churches are built over. Oh, this was some temple or like the main uh, cathedral, whatever the main church in Thessaloniki. Like there's a whole Roman city underneath it. Right. Like you go down right, and right. just like oh, you just build on top of on top, on top of, of on top, top of. of right. And so that's not a thing we have in America. No, right? well, or in the United States. Well, you at can't all. have it in Houston. It would just float away. Um, right. But in Houston, it sink it, into the mud. If Houston, you hold still long enough, forty years, we're going to blow it up anyways. Um, but like here, you can build in layers, um, like ogres and onions. Um, but like, so you watch a version of that happened to Christianity a thousand years later where a lot of churches get co-opted into mosques. A lot of Christian like art gets altered um, because of the Ottomans. And now, and so then for a while, like anyways, there's a whole like politics of Turkey thing to get into here where like for a while they made this, like they're going to be a really secular nation. And then, in very recent, like, past five years that it started to backtrack. That's how Hagia Sophia ends up a mosque again. For, like, 100 years, it was a museum. Like, the answer was, it's a museum. No one gets it. Um, Yeah. And that's altering again. But, like, that is a really important question of, like, yeah, what what is going to withstand it, right? I mean, already, like, a lot of churches in Europe, a lot of these grand churches, are more museum than church. Right. Right. Because they don't need the huge cathedral. They don't need the big, you know, all of those things. And, it, I mean, you get why the silversmiths are upset. Their industry is going away, right? This is Blockbuster getting mad at Netflix or streaming services. Uh You know, they see the writing on the wall. They go... 
oh yeah, this is trouble for our big business and well, and panic. And especially because they had built a pretty sweet deal, right? Mm-hmm. Of hey, to really participate in this religion, you need to buy a thing. Yep. Right? That like, hey, 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 hey. You need to like bring a sacrifice and like in the in the museum at Ephesus, there's all these like like objects that they've excavated that people brought, right? <laughs> As offerings or like, hey, if you take this souvenir and like set up in your house, now you've got your own shrine to Artemis and now you can have a connection, right? Like they made and, and the not, burning of the magic books. Right. And the, yeah, yeah. You know, and all of that books that happens were like before this. Hella expensive too. Right. Um, they found a way, Sami, if you've heard this before, they found a way to make the religion cost. Right. Right. Um, and you know, it's all mythology anyways. And so Paul comes along and says, Hey, this is way simpler equation. Way simpler. Um, it's you, it's God, it's people around you. That's it. She would scout people around you. It's that simple. Um, uh, you're not going to make a buck off this. Uh, we have now, trust me, we have found a way to make a buck off of it. Um, <laughs> you know, nothing will make you think about like money changers in the temple as like you're going, like everywhere you go, um, and this is not unique to this Greek and tur- Turkey trip, I just thought about it more on this trip. Um, because I was thinking about Acts 19, right? And, like, there's like a, they'll sell you anything. Do you want to buy an of icon of Paul, but you bought it in Ephesus? Oh yeah, you can get that. You want to buy a silver statue of Artemis? Still available. Two thousand <laughs> years later, still available. You wow. can still get. There are still silversmiths making statues of Artemis, right? Like we find ways to like. Because so many humans like souvenirs, right? But we find ways to like extract the money to monetize it to monetize the pilgrims. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. um, I get it. Um, but it is like Paul comes along with this very different deal, and it puts the writing on the wall. They Mm -hmm. end up losing out. Now the question becomes like, what do we do with that, Right? right? Of like, hey, cool story, bro. Like, this is a cool piece of our history. This is a thing that happened in a place that, like, that is not, like, once upon a time in Neverland, right? This is not, like, this is not Peter Pan stories where it just happens, like, in a nowhere place. This happens, like, in a site that we've excavated. You want to go to the Agora where they're rabble-rousing? I've been there. You want to go to the theater? I have performed there, right? Like, we can (laughs) go to these places, right? Um, And so, like, even if, you know, who knows, like, as ever with Luke, the details, who knows? But, like, there definitely was, like, Temple of Artemis, real. Silversmiths, real. Theater, real. Agora, real. Paul there, real. Because he writes a letter to these people. Like, we, so we know Paul is in Ephesus, for sure. Yep. Right? Um, Makes it clear from the letter that, like, he knows these people. Right? And so all the, like, other circumstantial evidence supports, like, we can take Luke relatively literally here of, like, all of this is plausible based yes. on the biblical, other biblical evidence and the archaeology. Cool, cool, cool. Yes. Um, so this is a cool piece for history of, like, 
you see that the very early mission is doing a thing. A thing is happening. Like, something's really catching on. Like, we've burned a million dollars worth of magic books at this point. Um, and you see that, like, not everyone's pleased. And this kind of is a prelude that Luke can't know is a prelude, but is a prelude to what happens when, you know, we make the emperors mad, right? Yeah. So here it's just the silversmiths, just the merchants. But eventually the emperors realize that we're taking away from the emperor cult, which was big business for the emperors, and that's part of where the persecutions come from. Yes. Well, and this is, it's so encouraging to see I mean, Paul did this with nothing, nothing. right? He did this with just the, message, just the message, just the message. He is just one dude with a message, this really amazing message. But so many people caught on that it became a threat right. to big business, that it became a threat to the emperors. You know, this is the, in in quotes that John Wesley didn't say, but we say that John Wesley said, the catch on fire with yeah. enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Right. Right. This this was Paul. He was so on fire with this message. Well, because we literally we literally came for miles. We literally can't have buildings. Right? Right. They'll kill us. They literally could have nothing. They had nothing. But the message and the street corners or the borrowed buildings or the whatever it is, but so many people caught on. Yeah, so Paul um, you know, Paul in Ephesus is like borrowing like a philosopher's lecture hall. Now we don't know where that is. Um but like he borrowed someone else's lecture hall and then like in the streets, in the Agora, right? Like that's, you know, I've been, I went up to Mars Hill in Rome, the Areopagus. Nice. By the way, slick as glass. I don't know how they didn't oh, just like, it, maybe it was different then, but it's just like, the, there's nothing built there. It's just like this, like yeah. incredibly slick, rocky outcropping. Like you don't need to try and hurt people on Mars Hill. They'll hurt themselves. Oh dear. <laughs> but anyway, but, yeah. But, it, like, but truly encouraging to hear like, I think especially for this time yeah. in, in our denomination, you know, so many of us are meeting in borrowed spaces right. or doing things without the resources that we formerly had. Or, you know, I, I attend church up here in a space that's meeting in a Presbyterian right. church um, as a United Methodist congregation. That's a shared space because they don't have the space right now. But that didn't stop Paul. That didn't stop this first church from growing to well, this and, huge, and it was, huge movement. And it wasn't the laser light show, right? There was right. no laser light show. There was no yeah. grand cathedral. There was my, enough. My was, husband calls that the Jesus concert, right? We've right. got plenty of those up here, too. All of the well, mega I mean, churches sure. have a laser light show like, and the Jesus concert like, and, the, and the good stuff, right? I like a good laser light show, but, you know, the movement, this is before ecclesiology and whatever right this was a mm-hmm. largely a mission especially paul's end of it it was just right. a they mission. just call it the way the way right? right it's just the way a problem came point. up concerning the way right like this yes. that's all it was um it was very much exclusively about the connections the connection mm-hmm. with god and the connection with each other that's and all they the had. enthusiasm that yeah. they had yeah. for that, right? It's it's all about the momentum they had, the enthusiasm that they had. And enthusiasm like that is contagious. And it doesn't matter what it's about. Enthusiasm is contagious. Well, right. We see right? the good version and the bad version, right? Like, right. we see Demetrius. The of Demetrius also Demetrius starts a movement, versus, right? That yeah. gets quashed by this very brave town clerk who I wish their name had been recorded. 
because right. like they really are a hero of the story and we don't know yeah. what happened you know we can there's probably some fan fiction in either catholicism or the orthodox church about what happens to this guy later um and if so i'd love to read it because like you know he really is the hero of the story is this town clerk yes. going what's wrong with you what are you doing guys what are you doing why are we here rioting let's, why are we rioting stop the riot let's stop the rioting go back to like, the courts if you've got a real problem if you've got a real problem you don't have a real problem. sue him but you don't have a real problem and you know right. it right like yes. this is the roman empire even in the roman empire you can't like this is you know this there is, were rules there, there were, were laws rules. they were not following them yeah, yeah. no not they, at he all. shut it down not at all. he shuts it down <laughs> like it is you see this infectious movement and you know, and I, I hit on this in the piece of like what you accomplish with so little. And then you look at like, and this kind of probably leads into our next segment, but like what we think we need, right. To do ministry. And I, I made the joke about project G650, but it, you know, like right. the things we think we need and those things are lovely and they're tools, but the origins of this that go from over a course of 300 years, which in the grand scheme of the universe is nothing, to go from like getting run out of town by Demetrius to the temple of Artemis being pointless. Mm-hmm. All of that happens with essentially no infrastructure. Right. And no Internet and no like buildings and other than like people's houses and like right. borrowed lecture halls or synagogues or whatever. Um, and like n- nothing. Right. All it is purely the enthusiasm and the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I think you can see a parallel in the early Methodist movement yeah. in America as well. I, I mean, they didn't have well, a whole lot. They had some open air preaching, right? But, like, but I, but I think that's like every time we talk about a golden era, and and every like version, every denomination has their own. You could tell the same story of the early Pentecostal church, um, yes, and the Azusa Street and all of that, right? Like it's the same deal, right? Yeah. Like, I, or you can talk about like you know, Martin Luther and, and like the Lutherans yes. have their version of this and the Presbyterians, yes. they love Calvin. God love them. Um, and, or like, but these are how movements begin. Or right? you can with talk about in, in our modern era, you can talk about what's happening with Pentecostalism in South America and Africa. Yes. Right. It's a lot of churches meeting in trees. Yeah. Right. Like every time we go, like, I, 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 you know, and this really, this will set up our next conversation, but like you sit in these, like, yeah. you know, the, the church growth of like, let's get the laser light show or like, how do we, you know, how do you get the young people? And every time we come back to be genuinely excited, <laughs> be uh, authentic, be authentic. Um, anyways, mm-hmm. this, this leads us into our next conversation um, on uh, a, a, how to restart a church uh, Paul edition. Uh, we'll be right back. And we're back for our segment of how to restart a church. Or in this case, we're going to start about talk about how did the church start? How did <laughs> we get here? Right. And it comes up a lot. But like, you know, I did this, <laughs> this, this is my field trip report, right? Like I did this thing called journeys of Paul and I, 
I've joked about like how much I traveled and I did it in 11 days and he did it over the course of like the second half of his life, but he also didn't have airplanes and buses. And even for me in airplanes and buses, like the trip was pretty rigorous. Um, and like, you know, one person broke their ankle. One person may have broken their wrist. One dude got oh COVID, right? Like even we, I, I took a massive L on the Parthenon. Not, <laughs> I made it through Mars Hill fine, Uneven payment in the Parthenon, huge L. Um, aye, aye, aye. Right, like, even for us, it was a lot. That journey was a lot of pack, unpack, haul suitcase, go, another airport, another airport, more airplane food, right? Like, it. there was rigor for us in the, like, most comfortable, one of the most comfortable versions of this imaginable where we're traveling in, like, bus and coach seat on an airplane and staying in reasonably nice hotels. Paul had none of those things. <laughs> He's doing it on foot largely or on ship. He is also making his own money as he goes, right? Part of the Paul story that we leave out a lot is that like they're not paying him to do this. He right. is now, it gives him an option. Like, he's set up in, he's also set up in the Agora, the forum. And so, like, it gives him connections with the community, which is the whole point of this, right? But, like, he's also making his own money. So, he's working probably full time as a tent maker. Um, and from that, from that dedication, from that willing to be mobile in an era where that is incredibly rare, um, comes in a very real way, the church. It is the spark that gets us going. And it's a cycle that we repeat every couple hundred years, right? Yep. Every couple hundred years, we realize, hey, get simple, get enthusiastic, go out beyond your comfort zone. Get mobile. Get mobile, <laughs> meet mm -hmm. people. Right. Like I have, you know, my two exactly. tattoos are, are of the the Wesleyan heritage version of that. Right. I have my circuit writer and I have John Wesley preaching at his father's grave. Right. Like so we as Methodists, as kind of Wesleyan aligned denominations, tell our version of that story, which are the circuit writers, both in England um, and the United States of like. You know, John Wesley spent more time on horseback than he did with his wife. He's not a great husband, but he was a great missionary. Um, but like John Wesley, both John Wesley in England um, and Francis Asbury in the United States, like just like hit the road. And like a whole yes. generation, few generations of Methodist pastors, Methodist preachers did the same. And out of that came... A thing that built very large steepled churches and became the largest denomination and, the, and then whatever. Like my – I think I've told the story about Wild Bill Daniels on the show before. If I haven't, I'm going to tell it again anyways. Um, so my Methodist history professor, Dr. Bill Daniels, we called self-named Wild Bill. I don't know, but like <laughs> – Definitely was just generally referred to as Wild Bill Daniels. Has a very distinct theory that everything fell apart when Methodists built steeples, right? Really? When we built giant steeples on churches, we were no longer a mobile. We were no longer mobile, agile, hostile. Um, we became <laughs> to calcify, right? And we became, you know, from our arrival in the United States in the 1760s to the Civil War, 
we went from in 100 years, essentially. These numbers aren't perfect, but go with me. In 100 years, we go from not existing to largest Protestant denomination in the country. We hold that title for a minute. But like the real growth from zero to nothing happened before we built steeples. Happened largely when before we, were... we built buildings. Yeah, when we were still mobile. We were still right? mobile. When we were still – well, and I wonder if that mobility encourages the enthusiasm that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah. You know, it's the authenticity. You don't get up and go and leave your wife and get on a horse right. through the rain, you know, only – and whether that was fit only for crows and Methodists. Crows and Methodists, say, right? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Sometimes when the weather was bad, it was only fit for crows and Methodists. Um, but you don't do that if you're not – enthusiastic about the message that you're giving you know have we lost that enthusiasm have we lost that um vigor when we are in our comfy pulpits or when we are in our comfy pews but i also just think we can't like you know there's a real you know i've had seasons of my life where i'm not nearly as exciting as paul or john wesley but like I've lived that road life, right? I've been I've walked to Santiago three times, and um, I was a missionary that essentially lived out of my backpack, right? Out of my messenger bag, like where my messenger bag. I had a period of my life where my messenger bag was home, right? Wherever it was, that's where my laptop lived, and so that's where home was. Um, it's also my pillow for several months of my life, and that was a mistake. You can. It's okay, friends. You can get a pillow. It's going to be all right. Um, <laughs> about midway through life in Paraguay, I just bought a pillow. I'm like, this is stupid. Um, but, like, I think some of it is, and you see, that, like, I, I think this is what I, I hit on in the piece, too, is there's this simplicity to it, mm-hmm. right? That, like, we have added, like, both in our in our worship and in our methodologies for attracting people we got complicated because and i wonder like i have a theory i don't know how good this theory is but in the early days we didn't have the money to try to express the grandeur of god so we didn't when we got the money we became really obsessed really obsessed we're trying to express the grandeur of God, which is impossible to do anyways. Or, or rather, right. a sunset and the sea and a mountain does far better. And I love, you know, I saw, I saw a lot of beautiful churches. I saw Hagia Sophia, which is a bucket list thing for me. I wanted to see that thing. This, like, stadium-sized church built in the 500s. Holy cow. And yes, Incredible. like, you know, or when you, when I got up to the, the cupola of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and I realized they weren't paintings, they're mosaics. And you're just like, right. Like when you, like, wow. you, they look like you see the interior of St. Peter's, it looks like it's painted, right? It's not painted. They're all mosaics. Wow. It's all mosaics. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, well, it was only because I went up this, you know. Um, like we got the budget so that we could attempt to express the grandeur of God. And, and like, and we, when we have this 1960s era monstrosity of our own, which is attempting to do that same thing, we have it's not quite as big as Hagia Sophia, but it's got some European cathedrals licked. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I am not someone who needs that. And so, to me, I guess it's really easy to go. I'm with Wild Bill Daniels when we built steeples or cathedrals or Hagia Sophias or whatever. 
right? Like, this does not necessarily express a high point of our enthusiasm for the message. Yeah. And it's the enthusiasm that brings people, you know? I met, so I always think when I think of the word enthusiasm, I once met one of the world's foremost experts on the reproductive habits of fruit flies. Okay. Tell me more about this. Uh, Yeah. Let's unpack this. This is not where I thought we were going. She was so enthusiastic. I mean, you could not have a conversation with her without her wanting to show you the latest video or talk about the new thing she was learning. But that sort of enthusiasm is infectious. Right. It's yeah. contagious. You want to know what's happening. and you With know, fruit flies. Which, right. With a freaking fruit fly. Because who cares about the reproductive habits of fruit flies? Well, she did. Someone um, has, like, someone had to and knows, she's the one. Right. And she was the person, and she would show you the video and which spider she then fed the fruit fly to, right? But you got really invested in these characters um, because of the story, because of her enthusiasm. Otherwise, I never would have cared to watch that video or know the thing that she was trying to teach. How much better is our message than fruit flies? Right. right. We have so. yeah, the a best really, really exciting message. It's the best story ever. But we, but we treat it like it's this everyday, common, mundane thing. Or, um, or we, we don't get as enthusiastic about or it. Or we let our infrastructure do the talking. Yes. Right. Um, I, I, so I wonder about that. Like, I, you know, I think about, like, how do you build a movement when you have no churches? You talk mm-hmm. to people. Yes. When you have, well, people are going to come and be attracted to this grand, beautiful building. Well, what happens when they stop being (laughs) drawn in by the grand, beautiful building? Or the laser light show, or whatever the next thing is. Or the the programming, or that our kids' program is the best, or our children's program, whatever, you know, like, whatever it is that was drawing people in before, when that stops working, what do you do? Well, what we do is hopefully we do the same thing we've done every 200 years, Right. I, you know, and I guess it's time, right? We're come to, yeah. um, but you know, every few generations, um, it we've got to go back. Mm-hmm. We have to hit the reset button. Like you, if you, you know, when yeah. you study American history, right? You talk about the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening and the like, and all of these are like there seems to be this arc of simple enthusiasm to calcification to decline. Yes. Right. And like, you know, what happens when the medieval Catholic church becomes a world government, a reformation, right? Yes. What happens when the church of England becomes more about state ceremony than religion, the Wesleyan revival, right? Right. Um, what happens when those churches are not doing what they're supposed to do in America, the great awakening, right? What happens to, you know, you know, you can really tell the story of Pentecostalism as a response to Methodism becoming the biggest thing, you know, cause it grows out, yeah. you know, where their parent or grandparent, right? Um, what happens when the Methodist church starts to calcify in the United States being the biggest denomination, you know, turn of the last century, biggest denomination in the country, biggest Protestant denomination in the country, 
as uh, the street happens, right? The you know, yep. the the pe- holiness movement, holiness traditions, and the Pentecostal traditions. Kind of, there's a lot of strains, but one of the strains is the calcification of Methodism. Yep. Right. Whereas you know, 150 years before that, we were the ones um, doing the reviving. Right. We were on the cutting edge. We were the innovators. Right. Back then. Back then. And and like <laughs> Paul to me, like, you know, I this trip drives home the like what is the what is the blueprint for church growth? I don't actually know the answer to that other than I know what Paul did and I know that every time we keep doing that, we get at something. And then we very quickly want to become the temple of Artemis or whatever. Right. You know, and you know, we can tell the story about the temple in Jerusalem and like very quickly we want, you know, we want the big box. We want to attempt to express the grandeur of God, which is a worthwhile goal, I guess. But when you use that, that wasn't Jesus's final instruction to us, right? It wasn't go build churches. It was go make disciples. Yeah. No, like it was go make disciples. Like, (laughs) Church as a concept, largely brought up in Matthew, you know, in the gospel wise, largely brought up in Matthew, makes sense as a methodology for gathering believers. Gather and for like have some tools for disciple making. Yes. Um but like even in Matthew's time, it's not clear that church church is probably not building. It's probably right. rich dude's house. Right. Um, you're probably meeting in the the atrium. So Roman houses have like a big open air area and atri- an atrium. Um, <laughs> I learned this in sixth grade languages around the world. We had to take Latin. Um, anyways, oh. <laughs> um, like probably meeting in someone's atrium. Um, and and that's like or or because we know it's not the synagogue because the synagogue's mad at them and so we know matthew's church is not meeting the synagogue they're getting dumped on by the synagogue that's one of the things they're concerned about you know it's it's why matthew frames his gospel the way he does we think um maybe they're meeting in a borrowed philosopher's hall but like matthew that's not it's it's probably someone dude's house right like it's just it's just the church was the gathering of believers we didn't have to the early church didn't have to have this explained to them that the church is still just a gathering of believers. believers. Right. Right. Like, it's not the building. It was never the building. The never church the bu- is the body of Christ. But like Paul, but there's also like, you know, Paul went way outside his comfort zone. Right. Like that's part of it. Like you look at the distances he had to travel mm-hmm. and, and then, and you can say the same thing about the you know early Methodists and anyone else, but they had horses. Paul didn't even have horses, right? <laughs> Paul's on foot, Ugh. um, in a world full of bandits and disease and, and Artemis worshippers and Artemis and... worshippers, and like he, they try to kill, like they try to kill him all the time, right? right. Like he's just they're just trying to kill him with some regularity. Um, where he's like, and then he had to flee. Then he got lowered from a basket. And then, like, over and over and over right. again, right? Like, he's just, they're just trying to kill him. And he keeps going, 
right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the other, other beyond just like the simplicity of like, hey, how do you run a movement? Be excited about something and don't worry about the infrastructure. The other right. of it is like, at some point, someone in this religion of ours is going to have to step outside their comfort zone and talk to somebody else about Jesus. Like, and, and just keep going and keep going. Yes. Right. Like keep going. I, 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 you know, like we we have largely professionalized this task um, and not to our benefit um, no. of like, you know, I, I love I love when like people will hold a church meal to an inconveniently long amount of time in the hopes that the pastor will pray. Right. I love this. <sighs> Drives me nuts. Right. Because this is even even still internal to the church. But it's just like y'all can pray. Oh, no, we were waiting on you. You need to get in here. You need to get in here. Why? I want to take my microphone off and untuck my shirt and breathe for a minute. No, no, you need to bless the potluck. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> you can do it. You can I do, do that. I do love the emphasis that we used to yeah. put on lay-led ministry. I right. will say used to. And and that we should again, you know, right. that lay ministers are important, that lay people are important. Well, the, like, group enthusiasm and yes. being enthusiastic enough about this thing to then step outside your comfort zones in appropriate, non-exploitative ways. Um, this is still not an argument for buy a bullhorn and go to a street corner. Still <laughs> not an argument for that. Um, yeah. Or like, you know, we all know the really creepily enthusiastic people. Like, the other thing that Paul seems to have is an enthusiasm and an ability to talk to humans. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, the, you know. And like, to still be a tent maker. You right. know? Yeah. Like, to still do normal human things. <laughs> right. Still be like a tent maker and also, like, his evangelism worked. Um, yes. So, like, huh, interesting. Uh, so there is, you know, this is a broader conversation that just go talk to people about Jesus. You know, I think I've told the story of, like, the person that carried, like, the 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 informational f- soccer ball through a community in the Dominican Republic. And apparently, as we walked through the community in the Dominican Republic that day, saved four people. You, you didn't speak Spanish. You just like pointed to pictograms on a soccer ball and that saved, I don't know. Right. Interesting. Like we've talked a lot about this of like, you know, like evangelism that works relationships, relationships, long-term relationships. Paul's in, so Paul's in Ephesus for two years. Like, yeah. And so that's part of how it caught on too, is it's not just like him handing out leaflets and then going away. Right. But on a real fundamental level, he left home. He left, you know, this dude, you know, Paul, and you know, had no personal life. Right? Clearly believed in the mission that he was preaching. Right. Right. He was living the ministry that he was preaching. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I just, we don't look good as a movement right. in that light of what, or certainly the American church does not look good in mm-hmm. the light of like what Paul did that worked, that what built that thing from under threat 
from the silversmiths to making that temple pointless. It all happened because a bunch of people built relationships, not buildings. Because uh, a lot of people, you know, stepped outside their comfort zones and like got out there and, you know, lived a little awkward, you know, lived in a little awkward tension. Um, you know, the number of churches, you know, that I've, I've seen in my own ministry that will, you know, you'll gladly pay for a building, but dear God, you won't even talk to your own family about the difference that God made in your life. Right. Okay. You can't even evangelize your own family. (laughs) Right. And tell them about this amazing story. I mean, this is again, this is the most amazing story. This is the most amazing message on the planet and in the world. And like the, you know, this, this journey of Paul, like, you know, we did all the like touchy feely takeaway, whatever stuff at the end, right? Like, Oh, what are you going to take away from this? You know, I, I've had so many of those discussions. It's just like, I don't know. It's the friends you made <laughs> along the way. Um, but the actual, an- my actual answer to that question is, it's just, you were reminded of the scale of what like one dude 2000 years ago willingly did so that the message could get out there and the team of people around him. Right. And so like, it wasn't just Paul because you have like Phoebe who takes this thing from Corinth to Rome. Not right. an easy journey as a woman traveling in f- 50 AD, right? Or like Titus who ends up on Crete, poor dude. Um, right? Like Timothy, like Luke, all like there's this whole network. All the people, yes. This whole network of people around him. Um who are also running all over the place, delivering these messages, carrying these letters, coordinating him. Like, you know, or like, okay, the group from Ephesus traveled to here to me. Like, like they're all on the move. Like, not just one dude. They built a movement. Okay, so I had, yeah. since some leadership class I had to take once, God only knows. Um, there, there is this very funny video of like, how do you start a movement? Um, and it starts out as one dude dancing on a beach. This mm-hmm. is, this, this is not yet a movement. This man is a leader. Then another person starts dancing with this man on a beach and the narration goes, now this is a movement, <laughs> right? And then a whole bunch of other people start dancing, right? Like you do mm-hmm. have to still be, it does still start with one person dancing on a beach. Yeah. Right. It does. One person willing to get out of their comfort zone and start dancing. One person enthusiastic enough about this dance party that is not yet happening um, mm-hmm. to start a dance party. And again, I, you know, I, I don't hold all the answers here. None of us. Like this is, you know, we, we partly do this show to find answers that we don't have yet. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look at the early church, it is just a reminder of how they had nothing nothing and Jesus had nothing they were not right like one of the reasons why we have so little archaeological evidence of the early church is because all they made were letters and gospels right and some cave drawings in the catacombs in Rome like that's it like we until the 400s 
leave almost no direct archaeological evidence because we didn't have structures. All we had were people, letters, and gospels. That was it, right? The mm-hmm. archaeological evidence for the early church is called Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Romans and, you know, Thessalonians, Acts, Acts yeah. and First and Second Thessalonians. Like, those are, that's what they left. All they left was right. the word, right? That's it. Because it was about the word and people yes. and nothing else, right? And we have those same tools. Oh, we have those same tools. And, <laughs> and a million and more tools we can use you know, to our disposal. Billions of trillions of dollars worth of property and art. Yes. Right? Like, I, you know, we, you know. We are starting on the shoulders of giants. I mean, we, we can do this, people. We sit here. We on, can do this. You know, I'm sitting here in a studio and a, this dilapidated carpet they sit on three acres on a highway in houston right like you know i can imagine you know not to make me feel wildly inadequate but i do um i can imagine what paul would have accomplished already you know i've been i have been at this church for a year so that is half the time that paul was in ephesus and i have like a thing on a highway a little more complicated this is a this modern world is a little harder, I guess. I don't know. Maybe not. They're not trying to kill me yet. Um, so, like, you know, yeah. It's just a ma- – like, they had shockingly nothing. We have everything they have and a billion times more. And yet, what are we doing with it? What am I well, maybe doing this it? is So maybe this is our pep talk to – get out there and start dancing on the or beach guilt or trip whatever, or whatever. It is right, yeah, do, yeah. right? Whatever it is like, you do, but like use this as your kick in the pants to get out and go do something. But like, it is like, let's like, do something. Let's do something. Right. Yes. Like I, you know, I, I spent a lot of, cause it's, it's my job, I guess. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about buildings and structures and whatever. Right. And, and we talk a lot about buildings and structures and whatever. And, and, and sure, but fundamentally, it's about people mm-hmm. and the word, right? Because mm-hmm. in the early days, it's the people, and in that is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the glue right. that binds all that together. But, like, it's yeah. just those three things. It really is just those three things. Really, it's just people, Holy Spirit, which is God working with people, um, and the word. That's all they had. Yep. That's all they had for hundreds of years. Um, yep. And, and we've got that. And we've got, we've got at least that everyone's got at least that. Maybe you have a laser light show. Maybe you have a formerly grand cathedral. Maybe you have three acres in prime Houston. Maybe you have a small country plot in the middle of nowhere. But fundamentally, like, it's easy to talk about what we don't have. Lord knows I do talk often about what we don't have. But what the early church didn't have is shocking. Right. They didn't even have like the legal right to exist, maybe. Right. And yet, out of that came a thing that eventually, in a few hundred years, toppled the Roman Empire. Yep. Right? Became the Church of Rome. Right? <laughs> you know, built Hagia Sophia. Um, 
you know, whatever, 500 years after Paul's life, the this stadium-sized church gets built. The Temple of Artemis becomes pointless. Um, yeah. So anyways, right, so this is, I don't know, this is a pep talk. This is a something to... <laughs> Go do something, friends. Recognize the things we fundamentally have. Yes. Which is at least what the early church had. We got to be able to, like, they accomplished unbelievable things. God, as we'll always say, God is still as powerful as God ever was. Mm-hmm. If we can internalize the enthusiasm. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for joining us on another edition of The Goodness of God. If you have feedback for us or want to tell about your own stories of enthusiasm, simply email us thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. That is thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. This and everything else we do here in the Servants Now Media Lab is a product of said lab and is brought to you by a generous donation uh, by the or a generous grant by the innovate by the innovators grant of the Texas Annual Conference United Methodist Church. If you want to find out more about what we are doing here at the church or here in the media lab or whatever, just go to Servants Now on everything, servantsnow.com, youtube.com slash servants now, facebook.com slash Servants Now, um, at Servants Now on both Insta and on TikTok. Um, and also, uh, we'll be right back here uh, this time next week. So in the meantime, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We will indeed see you next week. Mm-hmm.